0: Ever since the 1st tick tock of time, you brought order to a world undefined.
1: Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the
0: Genesis West Podcast.
1: Our, our teaching team, team is made up of men and men women who
0: love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which, which our, our community, community responds. responds with curiosity,
1: courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith,
0: faith, hope, and love. Um, Please stand for the reading of the gospel. My daughter really wanted me to read this in Mickey Mouse voice, and I'm (laughs) resisting the temptation. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who has set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, "'Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, "'for one's life does not consist "'in the abundance of possessions.' Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, "'What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops?' Then he said, "'I will do this. "'I will put down my barns and build, uh, "'pull down my barns and build larger ones, "'and there I will store all my grain and my goods.' And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, all right, maybe a little echo there. So I'm Kara Verhage, and I'm on staff here at Genesis and I'm so grateful to have the chance to be here sharing from scripture with all of you today. This, um, this sermon is a lot more about me than I would normally employ, but um, since we are very new to each other, only been here since the spring, um, Steve and I chatted, and he, and he said, let's let the congregation get to know you a little bit. So, a little bit more of me than I feel comfortable with, but I wanted to also to share um, some of my context um, for my faith and my approach to Scripture as we get started this morning. I grew up in the ELCA, uh, the Lutheran Church, and um, I moved to the Covenant Denomination when I was a freshman in high school, and in the last 28 years, I've put a lot of deep roots um, into the covenant, and I still kind of kept my foot in this Lutheran world. I um, I graduated from Luther Seminary. I thought just a few years ago, but as I looked at my calendar, I guess it was more than a few years ago. <clears throat> I've mostly served or attended pretty traditional covenant churches over the years. Um, but now I find myself kind of pushing those boundaries of classic orthodoxy a little more and I've been engaging in this deconstruction and reconstruction of my faith a bit more in the last five years or so. And I know there are some in here who kind of have been on similar journeys. My experience with preaching and teaching has certainly taken on um, a similar trajectory. I, I think I assumed early on that when studying scripture, there was one exact right answer to come to. And it was my job as the person preaching to bring that exact right answer. And the the pulpit, or this space right here, was a place for the authority, the authoritative person to have a one-sided conversation with the congregation. And so here I am today, unexpectedly in this gathering of all of you, as we, as we learn to live what it means to be these ordinary apprentices of Jesus, people who are desiring to love God, to love ourselves and others in a wholehearted way. And I'm intrigued with, uh, in a new way about scripture, but that also terrifies me. You see, I, I did spend a lot of time learning what I believed were those most precise answers, And I'm an Enneagram 1, so finding the exact right answer feels really good. But this season of my life is filled more by curiosity and conversation than in the exact right answer. I tend to ask more questions, and I really like to be imaginative when looking at Scripture, picturing the world kind of behind the text and beneath the words that are said. But as conversational as I try to be, the concept of all plays here at Genesis, where we um, invite invite the congregation to share their insight, that makes me a little nervous, I'll be honest. So I'm going to ask for a little grace this morning as I try to step outside of my very stiff self and ask for insight from all of you today. And one more disclaimer. Um, Today, we're talking about money and possessions and greed. So, you know, super easy, lighthearted stuff, of course. I know these are tough and tricky topics, and they require a lot of attention and a lot more nuance than we have in this short time together. And I recognize we're all coming into this space here with varying degrees of need for our daily lives. I just want to encourage everybody to consider how these words of Jesus Um, meet you where you're at, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. So would you pray with me this morning? Good and gracious God, you invite us to gather and consider your word. Speak to us through the life of Jesus. Convict us and inspire us to be people living in the richness of you. Amen. So, in our gospel lesson this morning, we encounter Jesus, and he's traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, and he's starting to pick up more, more followers and more crowds coming to hear him teach. In this particular passage, we, he's just been encouraging his disciples, um, letting them know that, that they need to trust that God's going to take care of their lives. And suddenly, he's in- interrupted by a man wanting to talk about his inheritance. So, we just have a few verses, so I'm gonna quickly read through them again and invite you to um, consider what stands out to you in these verses. And a, a little sneak peek, I'm gonna ask you what you think about it when I'm done reading. So, from Luke, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, Who set me as a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to the crowd, "'Take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, "'for one's life does not consist "'in the abundance of possessions.'" And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and the rich man thought to himself, "'What should I do? "'I have no place to store my crops.'" The man said, "'I'll do this. "'I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones.'" And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life was going to be demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Jesus says, So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. All right, I'm feeling nervous here. First, I'll play. What stands out to you from these passages? Who sent me to be a judge? judge? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God kind of just smacks him upside the head and says, you fool. He doesn't mince words at all there, right? I'll pull down my barns, right? It seems a little, I'm just going to tear down all my stuff, build something fancier in its place. Is there a in God telling that? Storing that? Yes, right. The idea of storing in a, in a provisional way and God asking Joseph to do that to prepare versus the man deciding on his own maybe. maybe I don't know. We'll see. We'll see in the text. Yeah. Right, for sure. I always like I Yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Let me repeat a little bit of that so it goes on to the podcast so everyone knows. Though. <laughs> um, yeah, there can be a sense of anger when you're reading this passage, especially when you think about maybe those folks who are in ministry, preaching God's word, but then they also have such a huge level of excess. Um, and how does that how does that coincide? How can they read scripture? Maybe I'm inferring what you're saying, but how can they read scripture and live a super opulent life? Yeah. Anything else, really? Oh, sorry. Yeah, the man's thinking only of himself. He's just talking to himself about himself. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, for sure. That be on guard that most of the time we're not setting out. I mean, if I asked all of us, hey, is it super great to be greedy? Is that what we want to be? I think we'd all say, no, that's bad. But it sneaks up on you, right? It can really sneak up on you. Rich towards God. Yeah, we're going to unpack that a little bit more, foreshadowing my second all-play, so... Yeah, yeah. We're, we're um, treated to this this monologue this guy has with himself um, where he's like, oh, soul, you've got this covered. This is good. Um, we're treated to that internal talk that we all do for ourselves, especially when we want to justify something. Um, but it's pretty pretty interesting to see it here in Scripture. Yeah. Right, right. This the decision to, to tear down your barns and build bigger ones could seem like a very logical place to be, a logical thing to do, um, but clearly God's saying, "Nah, there's something about this um, that's not quite right," in, according to God. Well, what stood out to me when I was first reading it is um, is Jesus is teaching about one thing, and suddenly there's this at the beginning of it, there's this guy that interrupts him and asks him about his inheritance, an entirely different question. I don't know if you've ever been to um, uh, a concert or a Q&A or something, and people were not expecting someone to break in with a question. Um, I saw Hannah Gadsby, she's a comedian who's awesome, but I saw her a um, month and a half ago, and she's doing her, her, whole, um, her whole bit, and it was amazing. And there's a pause in the conversation and somebody yells out from the crowd, I've got an awesome person you should date. And it was the weirdest moment because Hannah was like, that was weird. And then instead of continuing on, she just paused and she was like, and that just interrupted my whole rhythm in a very authentic way. And that's what I picture when, when Jesus is talking here. He's he's teaching the disciples, he's talking about trust, he's like on a narrative, and then there's this guy who likely wasn't listening to any of it and says, So I need your help talking about some family problems. Jesus is pretty stern with him, I feel like, in reading this text. And, you know, to the man's credit, it was not uncommon in Jesus' time to talk to a respected rabbi. For, um, for information on you know, how best to handle inheritance. They wanted that information from the Talmud. And um, it's not great timing, but I'm going to let the guy off the hook a tiny bit. So Jesus, in the parable, tells the crowd as a response then about this farmer. This farmer's had a great year. It's probably a great mix of temperature and rainfall and lack of pests and so he looks at what's coming in, and he's like, this is awesome. What am I going to do with all of this? And so his solution is to make more space. But of course, God enters the story, calls him a fool, and Jesus reminds his audience we're supposed to be rich towards God. And there's this image of greed that surfaces in, um, in these just few verses, namely that, at least my takeaway is that greed turns us inward inward. And greed isolates us from community. We consider that first man who interrupts Jesus, and I love this insight from this pastor that I read. Her name is Debbie Thomas. She says, Jesus looks at this man, the one who interrupts him. He's in this family feud over money, and he sees in this man an obsessive need for a fair share, and it's twisting his heart. In the heat of this man's pursuit He's not able to discern that perhaps his inner life is in trouble. He's so concerned about scarcity and his own family dynamics that he doesn't even notice that there's actual abundance right in front of him in the person of Jesus. He gets so focused on his economic affairs that there's no bandwidth there, no bandwidth for the salvation that Jesus offers. So in his greed, he reduces the Son of God to an estate lawyer. And the rich fool, obviously, we know, is focused inwardly as well. So logically, we would think, make, make something more to store all, all your harvest in. But does he consider sharing with other people? I mean, we know in the text that he's already rich. So chances are, if you've got a lot of money, you probably didn't sow all the seed and harvest all that crop yourself. Does he think, I'm going to share with my farm workers instead? And you look at all of the first-person singular language that he uses in here. I'm going to do this. These are my things. Soul, you're pretty awesome. Greed deceives us into thinking that we are fully self-sufficient and that we're in charge of our destiny. And I don't know how we find space for God in that equation. Jesus reminds his audience and us by extension that At the end of the farmer's life, he comes to the same place as everyone else. No one escapes death. And nothing we possess or have is going to keep that from happening. And we know the problem of greed extends beyond just money and possessions. Because those things aren't inherently bad. The rich fool isn't chastised because he had the stuff. But he's chastised because of his posture towards what he has. It's the weight we give to things, right? Anytime we strive so deeply that it turns us inward at the exclusion of God and others, that's greed. Anytime we expend so much energy over something that we begin to get isolated and fearful, that's greed. When we spend so much time worrying about what's ours, about how do we get our share, Or how do we protect what we think we deserve? We fall into those same predicaments as the farmer. The constant desire for more makes us less content. It makes us less at peace with the corner of the world we inhabit and less able to hear and see the work of the Holy Spirit in this world. And we're inundated, right, by ways that we can um, feel like we need or deserve more. I feel like all I have to do is look at my Instagram feed, which I do probably too much, and it tells me that constantly that I'm lacking something, whether internal or external. It usually makes me feel pretty envious and takes me to a place that's not healthy and is not centered outside of myself. I'm worried about if a post gets enough likes or oh, somebody else took a great vacation Why don't I take a great vacation? Someone else is having another baby. Why didn't we have another baby? Somebody just got a promotion or finally finished their PhD. I guess I'm just going to never catch up, right? I want, I need, I deserve, and it's not fair. Because do we ever feel like we have enough? We're like the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus 16, trying to... Sneak some extra manna, trying to tuck it in our pockets, hoping Moses doesn't notice. Even though God said, there'll be enough tomorrow. You'll have enough to eat tomorrow. But we feel like we have to make that happen ourselves. When Josh and I, theres my husband Josh, when we first got married, right out of college, we, um, we lived in a new state, and we were really young, just babies it feels like, um, he was in grad school and we had very little, very little in terms of resources. I was temping until something else opened up, you know, that really lucrative career for a just out of college Bible grad. And <clears throat> we mostly lived on his stipend. And we kept a very tight budget. And it wasn't easy, but it was so simple. We sometimes reminisce about those early days and how we made it work on very little and how easy things felt in some way. We live on multiple times that amount now. And things how do things still feel tight? It's 20 years later, and we're surrounded by so much stuff. And the pressure that we have to feel like we need to keep up with the stuff, I will tell you sometimes I feel like I'm drowning. And greed and fear keep me in that headspace. Fear that at some point, the paychecks dry up or that work dries up. Fear that we should be prepared for every eventuality, and fear that we need to make sure that our kiddo has the very, very best, the very best options available. So I feel like we strive and we hustle, and we cling to these things that we have. But the story that greed tells us is false. It's false. Greed says that we don't have enough or that we aren't enough. The good news, though, that we can know just from Genesis 1 is that we're created in the image of God. That means we are enough. We don't need to fill that hole or that space with stuff or with money or with people's opinions of us. And we've been given this free gift of grace in the person of Jesus, which means we do have enough. We have enough of the things that will outlast our lives. And the same God who cares for the birds of the air and the grass in the fields knows the numbers of hair on your head. God knows and cares about God's children. So we can allow a new narrative then to be written about our lives. So if this parable teaches us um, we should hold everything in its proper place and wait. And that we should reject greed and isolation. But there's that interesting final verse. What can we glean from verse 21? Which is, what does it mean to be rich towards God? So here's our other all play. What do you think it means to be rich towards God? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That it's about what to be rich toward God would be mean would mean to um, take what we have and do something good with it, the way God has, asks us in Scripture. To give God what's His, yep. Open-handed toward, God. open-handed toward God, yeah. I love that imagery. Yeah. Do, there's, there's yeah. There's enough. Whatever God asks, whatever we need, there there is enough to live into abundance. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. Keeping those open hands because God and Jesus are one. We should be treating others um, as God treats us and um, loving others. Did I get it all? Yeah. I'm new with this. I'm new with this. This all play. Anything else? Richness towards God. I think there's something about the that God has for us? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Places. Yeah. Yeah. That the that the rich man received this abundant harvest. He didn't create it, but he received this. So, what does that mean, and how we can receive good things from God, and what do we do with that when we do receive that? I love this um, imagery that Barbara Brown Taylor uses when she preached this particular parable. Richness in God can be found in looking in the same direction as Jesus. The man who interrupted Jesus was too focused on his own situation to see him, let alone look in the same direction, right? So we can trade that inward focus, that worrying about like me, myself, I, when we look outward and put our pursuit on the things that Jesus taught. So that means we invest our gifts, we invest what we have in others and in the world with love and love and mercy, compassion, hope, courage, acceptance, justice, in truth, in beauty, and generosity. This is this is the richness of God. For us to experience a life made rich toward, to be rich towards God, we may have to ask ourselves some tough questions. How is our pursuit of more diminishing our ability to serve and to see God? Is the grammar of our life right now more first person singular, or is it looking out in that same direction as Jesus? Are we building bigger barns to hold more stuff? Or what's in our barn in the first place? Is it money? Is it reputation? Is it stuff? Is it our system of beliefs and thoughts? What things are we protecting at the exclusion of God, at the exclusion of others? And as we engage in self-reflection, I also think it's helpful when we share with one another kind of what's going well in this area and what's going right and how we see God at work in our lives in, in inviting us to the richness of God. And um, for the, for myself, for the past decade, I would sit in church, usually zoned out a little during the sermon, but um, I would have the same idea percolating about having a weekly meal with people where we'd always have um, an open table, an open chair set for whoever um, might show up that week. We'd issue that open invitation, and we would connect with others. But you know, I always found reasons why that wouldn't work, and they all—all all those reasons had to do with fear, and my own self-interest and greed. My time was too valuable. My work schedule was bananas. My home had to be spotless to have that happen. And, you know, because my reputation as a super hostess would come into, uh, into count every week. And that'd be tough to maintain. So I would sadly push that idea away and move on with the hustle towards more and myself. But last year, I decided to take the, plur- the plurge. The, plurge? The, sp- the plunge. And uh, whether or not... Josh felt the same way I did. He came along for the ride. And so we, um, well, I decided I was tired of feeling isolated and lonely and greedy with my time and my stuff. So we started Sunday suppers last fall, where between Memorial Day and Labor Day, um, we have an open invitation at our house on Sunday nights to have a potluck meal and um, kids play, and eat sometimes, mostly play. Adults sit and talk and eat and drink sangria, and we live life together. And this gathering, this, in, in this gathering, the story of our family has changed. It's our second summer of Sunday suppers, and we have seen, I have seen us, move from a spirit of isolation and fear. And that's been liberating. Is it hectic some Sundays? Absolutely. Did I still devote almost an entire therapy session to the discussion of whether or not it was okay to not make homemade salsa? And just to buy store-bought? Yes, I did, I did. Is it sometimes a strange mix of people around the table? Sometimes conversation can be awkward and does it blow our food budget? Does it blow our food budget, Josh? little bit? Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) Yes to all of that. It's not flawless, but the more that we have lived with a posture of open hands, the more we've been the recipients of joy and relief and community. And here at Genesis, I see so many people in our midst who are living in the richness of God. I see so much generosity of spirit as people share stuff as people give each other rides, as people um, hold each other's babies when we need an extra hand. I'm grateful for the many ways that I see all of you striving for the richness of God. And as we close, I want to invite you this week to try a simple practice, which has been really helpful for me as I resist the pull towards greed and self-reliance. Many of you may, may already do something similar. This is kind of a modified prayer of examine but first when I wake up I try to receive the day you wake up you accept this new day as a gift God's good God's good and provided another day for us so you invite God in and commit all your endeavors that day in joyful dependence on God and then secondly at the end of the day you mentally review your day Not in the way an Enneagram 1 would, where you replay with that fine-tooth comb all the dumb things you said in a meeting. But relive those moments to examine where did you feel close to God? Where can you give thanks? Where can you let go of what's left at the end of the day, trusting that God has been with you and that God has provided for you? And so I have found This rhythm helps keep things in perspective about who God is and how I can hold things with those open hands. So let's strive, strive less. Let's reject greed and fear and isolation that greed brings. Let's hope more and let us live into the richness of God's grace and mercy. As we close in prayer this morning, um, I had—I've been feeling a heavy heart in light of the um, the circumstances of the last twenty-four hours in our country with violence. Um, and if I were a, a more practiced preacher, maybe I could have chucked all the the previous <laughs> words and um, spoken directly into that. Um, But I would like, as we close in prayer, that we would be mindful of lifting up to God um, the families in Texas and communities in Texas and in Ohio who have experienced um, gun violence and in our country as a whole. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know if there are other words right now that are adequate. So let's go to prayer. God, as Hosea said, you were there when we were young, calling us as children, healing us when we didn't even know it was you at work, leading us with cords of human kindness and bands of love. Help us to be rich in your mercy, to be rich in your love, rich in the company of all that you have created and all that we share together in community. God, we lift up to you communities who have been victims of so much violence. God, we ask for your hand of love and protection and peace in the midst of these dark days and give us courage, give us strength to move forward, to bring your peace, your love into this broken world. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
0: Endings are a place where life is reborn.